Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. Then it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. Hey guys, we are here on Conspiracy Normal. Hello, Rob. Why, hello, Adam. How's it going for you today? I am entirely exhausted. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you, you're about to head on over to Bonnaroo and get to, of course, by the time this is posted, I think Bonnaroo may be over and you'll be completely exhausted, but that's just how it goes, right? Yep, and I can't wait. <laughs> it's over and I'm completely exhausted. Well, we're going right into it tonight, guys, with the guests because we don't, we don't have one guest we don't have two guests we have three and we're doing kind of a round table tonight on all things ufological and uh i want to welcome guy malone welcome back to conspiracy normal guy great to be back with you guys hello rob and adam hello thank you sir and we will be joining you soon in roswell new mexico where you are currently and uh we have yeah we have chris wolford on the line again chris welcome back hey guys how's it going Good. Thanks for coming on, Chris. Absolutely. No problem. Thank you so much. And last but not least, Mr. Peter Robbins. Good evening, gentlemen. Good to be on the show with you. Absolutely. Always good to have you, Peter. For sure. (laughs) For sure. Uh, 
originally when I set this up, I wanted to talk about more about Roswell than anything else since you know we do have the 70th anniversary coming up and at least uh, four of us that are on this line are going to be in Roswell. Uh, one of us already is, as I just said, uh, at the end of June, beginning of July. And it, of course, is the 70th anniversary. So I wanted to talk about that. And there's also some, I think, differing points of view that uh, Guy has and that you may have, Peter. And Chris, you may have a different idea about it as well. But I want to get into first with you, Peter. Uh, something happened this week. Now, we're recording this on June the 2nd. There was an article, I believe it was, yeah, the Daily Mirror. Um, it's the Mirror. Yes, yes. Uh, a British tabloid. And we had our good friend uh, Mark Mark Wyatt here uh, in Nashville with us, who's from the UK. And yeah, he just, had nothing but bad things to say about the Mirror and the Sun and oh, yeah. Daily Mail and all the rest <laughs> of the tabloids over there. But I wanted to go through this article, Peter, uh, because this is something that I think that I have known about, but uh, not a lot of people have. Uh so let me read this, and I'd like your reaction to it. Um, sure. It's titled, UFO Expert Accuses Co-Author of Deceiving Him with Accounts of Sighting During Infamous Rendlesham Forest Incident. Peter Robbins has sparked a war of words after revealing he now believes that former U.S. Airman Larry Warren's account of the incident near RAF Bentwater, Suffolk in 1980 was, quote-unquote, not true. Uh, give me one second here. Sure. You know what? It's making me take a quiz. Let me look through. Let me look for this real quick. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hate the internet so yeah, much. This is ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it wants to know how many times I've, how many times I've shopped at, uh, at Bass Pro Shops. Uh, feeling like a professional when you're on the air. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but basically, this article is about says, Peter, that you have um, said that your co-author on Left at Eastgate, Larry Warren, is uh, not basically what it says is that you accuse him of saying untruths are saying that he was wrong. And basically Nick Pope has now come out in support of you. So that's basically the gist of the article. And I pulled it up just in time, but I won't go on more than what I just said. Uh, but I'd kind of like you to get your reaction into what exactly is, is happening here since I have yeah. the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yes, uh, indeed. Um, it's a really sad situation in that tabloids, as they often do, um, it's not even lying as much as they lock on to some titillating point that will sell newspapers. It doesn't really have to be true. It can be, love the word, truthy. Um, and based on a radio interview I did some weeks ago, someone... Um, brought it to the attention of the mirror, which, uh, although a sleazy tabloid, is a very 
big, major, big, sleazy daily tabloid in the United Kingdom uh, with a daily readership of uh, one, two, three million people, I expect. And to write an article like that where you have uh, one public figure accusing another public figure of something so draconian and uh, with the added uh, drama that they had been very good friends for a long time and colleagues and wrote a book that was a runaway bestseller in the UK years ago. Um, Whoever put it together earned their money that day. However, um, one would hope, although it does happen less and less in this world of journalism that we have inherited, um, no one from the mirror, least of all the reporter who is credited with writing it up, thought to ask my opinion to contact me, to ask for any verification or um, confirmation of the absurd treatment that they gave the story. Uh, I'm really disturbed and rather depressed, and um, it has been a a very trying time for me, not because uh, of the reasons stated in the article that my co-author simply didn't tell the truth in the book, but that there are a number of untruths in the book that I have verified myself, and um, that makes me very sad and angry to a degree, but more sad. I feel um, 30 years ago when I signed on to write this book, and it took almost 10 years to write, um, I missed things. I was hardly a consummate professional. And um, I'm, in a way, uh, having to, um, you know, um, pay the price now. And part of that is the really creepy process of trying to sort out what is from what isn't. Uh, There is no question in my mind that Larry Warren was absolutely heroic in being not A, but the person who brought this to the attention of the world, uh, in part by not shutting up about it after 1983 when he became a public person in it, and uh, certainly not after the publication of our book here and in the UK in 1997. Uh, He is, as far as I am still concerned, directly responsible for um, bringing the HALT memo to public attention, that being the one-page memorandum, uh, which confirms a genuine UFO event signed by the then Deputy Base Commander, Charles I. Halt, Lieutenant Colonel at the time. And although that report compresses, redacts, dismisses, minimizes, it's still a confirmation of a genuine UFO incident signed by a deputy base commander right. on an Air Force letterhead. More, uh, Charles Halt was involved in his own UFO event with about half a dozen uh, enlisted personnel. And there is a tape recording of about 16 or 18 minutes of that event. Uh, Larry, through a series of interconnected events, was also responsible for bringing that into uh, the public realm. Um, He took a lot of heat, and to whatever degree he was or wasn't involved in the events in question, these things for me are still uncontestable. And there are many other details 
in his story that I was able to confirm and that, you know, are authentic. And this past year, year and a half, uh, a number of things have come to my attention that uh, established for me that some of them are not true. And I think people really like mm, extremes, good, bad, right, wrong, uh, nasty, kind, you name it. Um, this is a very complex story, and the individuals who were involved um, were put through some really nasty procedures. I refer to them as Disneyland on acid. Um, at this point, the most disturbing thing for me is I'm not sure of a number of things that I had been sure of for many years. And part of that goes to a series of um, problems between Larry and I, where he has told me things that have turned out not to be true, uh, some of them having absolutely nothing to do with the events in question. Uh, there are those who support him and um, his position who say, what does it really matter? What you do in your private life or how you behave or if you're caught in an act that uh, is embarrassing or you don't tell the truth, what does that have to do with the Rendlesham Forest incident? For me, bigger picture here, um, and Rendlesham aside, everything goes to character. If you are uh, an honorable, decent person and, um, you know, uh, observe strict personal ethics and have never been caught in any kind of uh, uh, untruth, in your private life, um, I think that's an important reflection on your public life and your public work. Some people don't agree with me. But be that as it may, um, we're in the middle of just a very unhappy, incredibly contentious, um, he said, she said, uh, claims and counterclaims, and really worse, yeah. some of the nastiest name-calling and genuine uh, hatred, um, one faction to the other, name-calling of an extraordinary degree. Um, for what it's worth, once I finish working on a statement I'm working on now, um, and then I know I, I can't just walk away at that point, there will be a reaction to it on both sides of the aisle, and I am obligated, as far as I feel, to my readers, um, my colleagues, my friends, and maybe most of all, people who have had these experiences, military and otherwise, to do my best to respond to whatever comes out of um, the dialogue based on what I'm going to be putting forward. And I will say right now, without going into details, there'll be aspects of it that neither side will like, because it's not a cut-and-dried situation. Um, I also really have come to a point where I, I just can't deal with, how can I say, um, people who didn't deserve it being completely slagged off or lied about so that somebody else doesn't have to take responsibility for a screw-up they made and puts it on another person and um, won't back down when confronted with the factual information 
that what they're saying is untrue. Okay, well, apparently Comcast decided that they want to do some kind of update at 7.30 on a Friday night, you know, when everybody <laughs> is using their internet, apparently. So we just got completely knocked off in the middle of Peter's sentence. So everyone is back, and we are here as well. So, uh, Peter, I want to take this where we left off. I did have a question for you formulating in my head as I listened to what you were saying. Um, the qu- one question I have for you, it's actually – Two questions. Uh, mm-hmm. The first question is, what in the book, can you give us an example of what in Left at Eastgate is an untruth? And then, if you feel comfortable to address this controversy about this John Lennon picture. Oh, sure. Um, well, two examples uh, off the top of my head. Uh, there comes a point in the narrative where... Um, it's 1983, the year that this is going to break, and um, given um, information that Larry Warren has supplied uh, to investigator he worked with, Larry Fawcett, um, the News of the World, then the largest tabloid in the world, um, a reporter contacts him and asks him a series of questions, an interview. When it's written up in the book, um, I'm trying to remember the exact specifics, but Larry says that it is incorrect, that it didn't happen. Um, and we now know through the work of another investigator that not only did it happen and were questions asked that perhaps Larry uh, was uncomfortable with or didn't want to acknowledge several years later when he was writing that part, um, that the reporter uh, who did the interview with Larry was contacted, had the recording, had the transcript, and it was proven. And um, Larry basically uh, will not acknowledge that. There comes a point in the book where um, documents are supplied, and one of them is an important one in that it establishes that he suffered burns to his retinas of his eyes. Um, that is now uh, heavily contested because who spawn it um, is a um, orthopedic orthopediatrics uh, and rehabilitation doctor, okay. not an eye doctor, um, and hmm. something has been altered on that document. Um, I was very sorry to see um, in the transcript of the radio show that Larry did several weeks ago that in less than a sentence, he alludes to the possibility that I might be responsible for that, which for me is, um, and that's about the worst thing that anybody has ever said about me in terms of my work and my ethics. I, I don't forge or fabricate things. And, um, to the best of my knowledge, nobody's ever suggested that I did. I'm sorry Larry is kind of caught in a situation here, but um, those are two examples. Okay. And the and the latest thing, that, from what I understand, now when I, I talked started talking to you about this, I really was not sure what the controversy was about because I really couldn't find anything that really gave me a good answer until... I kind of started to do a little more in-depth research, and I found this blog 
this lady named Sasha and another lady named Allison, I believe. I guess they're for both from Scotland, if that's correct. No, uh, Sasha Christie is English. She lives okay. in Liverpool. And um, oh, Allison okay. uh, Dunlap um, is a, a Scottish uh, paranormal and UFO researcher and radio host who uh, lives in, uh, in Glasgow. Now, there is this controversy, and this has nothing to do with Rindlesham, but there is this controversy about this uh, picture that yes. he purported to be with John Lennon. Yes. Um, is that something you feel comfortable addressing? Uh, sure. Um, the photograph, I, I had first seen it, I guess, late last June when Larry insisted, literally, that I visit Sasha's uh, website um, to see how badly she was slagging us off. Um, I, this is something I really did not like to do because it just made me sick. Sure. Uh, at the same time, um, I saw this photo there and, um, um, Larry, you know, everybody's making everybody else out to be these evil monsters. Uh, you take things back to the baseline and you see how logically, um, these disagreements and feuds begin. Sadly, these two, uh, with two women who had nothing but, uh, admiration and respect for Larry before things changed. And there on uh, her page, um, in a series of, of photos, which Larry claims uh, Sasha fabricated when he was um, um, staying with her when um, his really jerk of a landlord uh, made it impossible for him to live in his home, that at a certain point their relationship changed and that she co-opted photographs from his computer and then photoshopped them and then passed them off as though he had. Uh, this photograph stood out to me as the most obvious fabrication. Um, it's black and white. And there, You can see the line literally separating the two figures. It's John Lennon standing next to purportedly Larry Warren. Uh, oh, it is Larry Warren, but... Um, Larry, um, uh, I, I thought, well, if, if any photo can be disproven, um, it would be this one. Um, and I contacted him about it saying, you know, this is the one that I should go after and show up that uh, it's nonsense and stand by him. And he said, no, that one's real. And even though we were quite a distance away and communicating in Facebook messages, I remember doing a double take. Um, he says that it was taken on November 28th, I think, or within a day of that, 1980, which would have been two days before he flew to England to take his posting at RAF Bentwaters. Okay. Um, he claims he was on furlough. He certainly uh, had every right to be, and, and you know, um, that makes sense to me. But the man in the photo is not Larry Warren in 1980. It looks like Larry Warren closer to 1990. He is not 19 years old. And I um, was shocked. Um, it was then brought to my attention that, that he had posted that picture on his Facebook page, 
with text to the effect of it was taken by a club owner who had passed away since, and it was obviously a very important moment in his life. John Lennon means a great deal to Larry, more than maybe most people. And um, the poignancy that it would have been taken about a week and a half before John was murdered in New York added to it and a series of comments under it. But um, I I could hardly close my jaw. Um, His Hmm. face is broader. Um, His hairline is receding. It was not at 19. Um, I found the image quick enough in a Google image search, the John Lennon one, um, and it the mouth is smudged. It's just not an authentic photograph. And I'm convinced that he fabricated it. And, you know, it it might have been awkward, tough, and embarrassing, but I had hoped that he would come forward and, and just, you know, say why he did that. But he is standing tough on that and doubling mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. and insists that it's a real photograph. And that's basically what the controversy spins around. Peter, um, I wanted to ask you this about, you know, in Left at Eastgate, you you talk about um, these guys after this incident and they were taken to be um, basically brainwashed. And uh, also in the book, you do document Larry's struggle with PTSD. Is right. It, is now, it, let me let let's continue. Well, is it possible that he may actually believe this picture is real because possibly the post-traumatic stress syndrome or whatever just may have been getting steadily worse and worse throughout his life? Well, let me um, go back to your original question. First, some words are loaded, and they mean different things to different people, and brainwashed is near the top of that list. Yeah. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever used that. Well, maybe I have used that term somewhere along the line, but they, the men involved were certainly messed with. Um, and that's fairly well documented by all of the individuals. Um, I, in working with Larry over the years, um, when you do research, one thing takes you to another thing, takes you to another thing. And one thing for sure about Larry Warren, when I met him, he was the ang- the angriest person I think I ever met and the most obsessed mm-hmm. in his case about something that had occurred to him when he was 19 years old and in the service. And he wanted answers. I got it. Uh, and I did my best to help him um, in his search and quest for those answers. At least I tried to do my best. Um, I like everybody else, have heard the term PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, It can come from many things. I read articles on it. I spoke to uh, veterans who had been in combat and had it. And you don't have to be in combat to have it, for goodness sakes. You can have it, you know, witnessing a car crash. Um, That diagnosis, though, because it is a specific uh, condition, is purely my own amateur one, to the best of my knowledge. Larry has never had a medical confirmed diagnosis of PTSD. He may well have that I'm not aware of. So um, I I don't know if brainwashing enters into it or thought adjustment or PTSD. And this photo um, 
again, I can't even I can't even bring myself to say if it's authentic because it's not. It's just not. Yeah. Um, but if it were, um, it would have been taken before any of this happened. Um, otherwise, you know, beyond that, it's all just you know thinking out loud and um, guesswork. Right. Right. It's just just speculation. Chris, yeah. was there any and, questions you might have? Um, <clears throat> Peter, um, what is your take on the A10 photo? Because I know there's been a lot of uh, hullabaloo over the A10 photo that Larry had taken in in the distance. There was a craft, and some yeah. people have said now that it was fake too. But I have concerns because Bruce McAbee took a look at that photo and said it was real. And then, you know, everybody's an expert on the Internet. And especially when you're looking at secondary photos off of Facebook, you don't have the real photo. And then you're an instant photography expert, you know. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. It's a very good question, Chris, and and well-worded. When that photo came to our attention, well, that's not a fair statement. Larry took that photo, um, as I understand, understood, um, earlier in the day that the event happened, uh, the third night's event. And the detail was discovered, as it were, by a friend of ours in the UK, um, who is a lot more uh, knowledgeable on photo analysis uh, than we were. And I was knocked out by it. Um, Part of my... I won't say my problem, but my reality is I'm a fairly trusting person. And there is no question that after putting Larry through the mill in series of questions after questions, uh, the first year, two years and on that we worked together, it came to a point where I trusted him. I trusted him. Um, I should also say here when um, we met, and agreed to work on a book together, I was not looking for a new friend. I have plenty of friends. This was professional. Um, however, we became friends and good friends and close friends, which makes all of this all the more depressing. Yes. Um, I'm not sure what to say about it now, Chris. I just don't know. Um, if somebody lies to you about something and you know it's a lie and There are things that they've told you that are subjective, um, like in all of our lives. And, you know, the great majority of the things that happen to us, um, you can't go into court and say, you know, I did walk by that shop at 20 after 3 on March 23rd of 1978. Um, It's anecdotal. There's no way to prove it unless you put a great deal of faith in... um, polygraphs and voice stress analysis and other techniques, hypnotic regression. Um, so I'm in the really unenviable, unenviable position right now of knowing that things that I thought I knew to be true, that I'm just not sure about some of them right now. And that's a really unhappy state of affairs. I, the answer to your question is, I don't know. Um, it looks good to me, um, but if there is, if there was an intention to deceive, um, 
and I'm sorry to say, I think to some degree there was originally, and I'm talking about Larry and my relationship, um, then who's to say? I have been doing backflips in my mind the last year, year and a half to try to make this come out because I, I want to believe this guy. I took him seriously. He is heroic. Uh, our names are professionally attached into perpetuity. And if he takes a fall, um, <laughs> I do too. And you know what? That's the way it is. It's not poor Peter. Um, I miss things. I um, did not follow up on every lead because by that point I believed him. Um, and I, I shouldn't, you know, just be, you know, um, given a free pass on that. I was not the investigator 30 years ago, 25 years ago, that I would have liked to think I was. And if that factor was in place, that there was some intent, and I say some because I think it's selective, um, I still feel that a good amount of the things that Larry shared with me told me are true or likely true, but there there is an unsureness now for me because of what's happened. Yeah. And I've only given a few examples, of course. I, I think that's understandable, honestly. Guy, is there anything that you wanted to add to this, or do you have any questions about this? Not on the technical side, I guess, of it, or the, the historical truth of veracity. It's just that, Peter, I am really sorry uh, empathic that you're going through this. I, I am too. The, 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 there's a sense of betrayal, I'm sure, but you really, when you trusted someone, and as you said, you've been professionally linked for so long, I know you can handle that on the professional side because yeah. uh, you are. Uh, you're a consummate professional, <laughs> and especially all the more so nowadays than when you began. But <laughs> to know that you've been going through this for a year and it's just now uh, really making for lack of a better word, headlines, but it, yeah. it's coming to where people like me and Adam and the rest of us know about it. Sure. The fact that you've, you, you, A, you've, you've kept quiet for a long time while you had your doubts and suspicions, and that says a lot for your integrity and your character, your, your willingness to give the benefit of the doubt. But I just, I know you keep busy. I know you keep plugging, but to know that you've been carrying this for this long, yeah. feeling that someone you've trusted has actually been dishonest with you for a really long time. That's got to hurt. You've mentioned it's depressing. And I just want to say, I'm, I'm feeling very sorry for you, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're still going forward as a professional and handling it the way you are, but God bless you, man. I just I can't well, imagine the way you feel and how long you've been carrying this. Thank you guy. Um, thank you very much. Um, at this point, I feel a lot sorrier for Larry than I do for me. Um, he has, yeah. in great part, created a situation where, you know, it's a no-win situation. And it's a fortress mentality. Um, and I, I don't envy the position he's in. Um, at least I have a potential where I can move on. Um, this is not my life. And it is certainly not going to, you know, control uh, or run uh, the course of it. Um, as you know, um, we'll be seeing each other uh, in, in a month and a half or so. 
back in Roswell. And we should let our friends and listeners know uh, if and when they visit that world-famous city. Um, most of us outsiders pronounce it Ros- Roswell. And the way it is pronounced is Roswell. Roswell. And if you want to uh, look like a jackass uh, to the locals who <laughs> won't you know, even crack an expression, but they'll know <clears throat> that you are uh, a lout and that uh, you never bothered to learn how to pronounce the name of their city, it is Roswell. W, like Roz, and that stuff that sheep are covered in. Um, but, yeah, exactly. um, yeah, life goes on. Um, this is not the end all. It is not the biggest deal in the world or in my life. Um, I'm a very fortunate, in many respects, blessed person. Um, and, and, yeah, um, life goes on. Be here now. But... This has been a lousy period of time, and this week ain't no fun trying to put it together in a succinct statement and be as objective as possible. And I don't know if it's a gift or a curse, but um, when I was a kid, uh, maybe seven or eight years old, I remember coming home from school after getting into a fight, and my mother asked me uh, what had happened, and I laid out the particulars, and... um, Apparently, I, uh, as she explained it to me, I, I understood the other kids' issues and problems and why, you know, he was unhappy and got into a fight with me. And my mom's been gone for many years, but, you know, certain things your moms tell you, you never forget. And what she said is, you, you should know something about yourself, which is that you have the ability, the capacity, in so many words, to see both sides of an argument, even if you come down fairly solidly on one side. And there'll be times in your life when that will be a plus. Other times it will have the, you know, it it can hurt you. It can pull you apart. Yeah, uh, I've agreed on that. And Mm -hmm. I do see both sides of this argument. And it's one of the reasons why, and it's not an argument, it's a complex series of them, why neither uh, faction will be completely satisfied with what I have to say, because it is not a simple issue. Right. It's not black and white. No. Not, not, there's, there's no good and evil here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <sighs> I know you've been dealing with this for a long time, Peter, because back in September when we were on the Upper West Side, you know, in New yeah. York, you, you mentioned this, and... Um, you know, so I knew that this was kind of going on for a while, and I know that you were ready to kind of move on from the whole Rendlesham thing. You've got other things that you're oh, yeah. uh, talking about. Like, we ended up discussing James Forrestal for the rest of that discussion in the <laughs> breakfast place. So. Yes, indeed. I, I remember that, and it was um, a wonderful time with you guys in the city, and um, you did catch me at um, a, a really introspective moment when I hoped that maybe this thing would resolve itself yeah. or Larry and I could come to a, a common bond and understanding again. I, I have to say, I also have um, a lot of sympathy for many, many, many people who held us both in very high regard, who uh, were inspired by the book that we wrote, who, um, you know, were fans, are fans or, who are perplexed, who are unhappy, who are 
angry or sad or confused, and um, I can only apologize to them, you know, for whatever part I played in that confusion or disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about happier things. <laughs> Let's get into Roswell. I think Christmas is only 27 Sundays away. Uh, I uh, think so, too. Nice, Something like nice. that. Wow. About halfway there. <laughs> but see, we're, we're... I, it was a, a, meme, a meme I saw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk. Let's talk about Roswell as uh, as it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, well, that was a happy thing, except for whoever was in that. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. we we recently did a Patreon only thing with Greg Bishop and Nick Redfern that you're going to be both oh, of those great. guys are going to be at uh, at Guys Conference and uh, Good for you. We talked about uh, Roswell and kind of. Um, Nick's viewpoint about what happened uh, there. Sorry, Adam. Yeah. Uh, start practicing saying Roswell. Roswell. <laughs> Good, better. Keep going. I used to live in Roswell, you know, Georgia, so I might I might yeah. say that. <laughs> As you know, I used to live in Nashville, Tennessee, where Adam is. Yeah, yeah. I've still ah. got the southern twang. I've definitely got a lot of that twang left to me. I have said Roswell indefinitely. And living here, I've not been corrected on that ever. I've got 11, 13 wow. years here. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Who told you they that? They talk about you I mean, as I, soon as you leave. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, well, I'm used to that. <laughs> that's, that's just my life in general. Where did you learn that bit of information about Roswell? Well, so <laughs> I, I say it. A number of people told me. Uh, going back to 97 or 98 when I first started coming. And that I owe to you, my friend. You were the person who first invited me to speak there when you were running the conference. So without you, you know, I'd be a broken man right now looking for another drink or something. (laughs) I want to get you guys' viewpoints viewpoints on on Roswell and what what (laughs) happened there. And, uh, God, let's start with you. What, what do you think? What's your theory? Oh, my word. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you described this as a round table because I certainly hope it doesn't devolve to a debate, actually. <laughs> but beginning back in 2003, when I first um, registered RoswellUFOCrash.com, <laughs> I operated on a, the- on a theory that I got tipped off to by Mike Kaiser following up the German Nazi man-made oh UFOs angle of Operation yeah. Paperclip. Yep. Um, and then comparing the eyewitness drawings from the earliest books, you know, Crash and Corona, and then Randall and Schmidt's work, the UFO crash at Roswell, the truth about the UFO crash. And it became really, really apparent that when you compare those eyewitness drawings to what was um, either operational as prototypes in World War II from the German side of things with technology from, oh, you, you might say even Nikola Tesla, but others that were developing stuff for Hitler, Hitler's flying saucers, man-made UFOs, those books that are out there. Side by side, it's like, OMG, it's pretty much the same thing. So cracking into Operation Paperclip and then a few other sources um, I came to the conclusion that it was um, more, it was easily, de- it was demonstrably, it was arguable that it was a man-made event. 
that when you put pictures and drawings side by side, they're describing the same thing that should have no other relationship if something was genuinely from outer space. That left questions about the metal and the bodies that eventually got answered uh, for, to my satisfaction as well. And I remember going into this, well, if it's alien, I want to know. It's only because I lived here doing some religious views stuff, uh, especially more back in, back in the day, that people would say, well, if that's what happened, well, if that's what you believe about aliens, then what do you think really happened at Roswell? Which was a fair question for tourists to ask me. So I started looking at for answers, and if I was wrong, I wanted to know. I, I went into it. Uh, but what I always tell people is, well, don't worry. I mean, I was born in the 60s, late 60s, 1968. So my beliefs about religion, philosophy, and stuff have no bearing on what happened historically in 1947. So I wound up with a historic view based, uh, started with Dr. Mike Heiser's work. I even submitted it to Nick Redfern via email. I said, hey, what do you think of this? I didn't know he was looking at the same or uh, similar angles as well. Yeah. And so if you've already, if you're both familiar with Nick's work from the Body Snatchers book years back, we have been on the same page since uh, at least 2003. Guy, how do you explain the metal? Uh, very easily, actually, is that I've, but the first thing about the, the Roswell incident, when, when you're talking about the people that aren't familiar with you know, okay, there was a ship of unknown origin that crashed. That is a fact. Nobody is lying. Um, the, the testimony that you're asking me about is that some of the wreckage was cleaned up by um, Marcel, Jesse Marcel, senior, junior. I've, I've started blending those in now that the, the, the third, the grandson, is speaking in Roswell this year. But he said that the metal bended back. It had unusual properties. You could bend it, and it would regain its original shape. Well, nothing like that's ever been discovered before. And um, actually, through the Internet, just being an armchair researcher, as you'd say, uh, there is a, a metal that was discovered in the 30s, um, Nitinol. Uh, now there's a dot-com attached to it, N-I-T-I-N-O-L, that, when bended, retakes its original shape. And I'll, you know, sh I'll show some videos on that when I do the lecture. But there was um, a metal that would theoretically answer that description as well. That, oh, it was the, the, the crashed ship that nobody had ever seen before. Well, I have slides that one just like it was in Germany in World War II three years earlier. And then the Americans were giving these German scientists a blank check to recreate that for us here in White Sands, New Mexico, in Wright Field, Dayton, Ohio, and in um, uh, Texas, in the Proving Grounds there, sorry. That the German scientists that were creating all these flying saucers and, you know, alternate propulsion devices for Hitler, they were moved over here. So... With that groundwork laid, well, there actually is another explanation for the crashed ship that matches the drawings. The point being, the witnesses aren't lying. So that even if Jesse Marcel, let's just assume he's 100% telling the truth, I bent the metal and it went back into shape. The, the logic or the reasoning that often follows that is that's an exotic metal, the likes of which this man in the military has never seen before. Therefore that's a proof that it must be from outer space. But just with Wikipedia, I was able to present, well, Nitinol was actually 
discovered or created in the 1930s, and it was a metal that mm-hmm. bent back into shape. And lo and behold, the copyrights, the patents, and the original paperwork actually traced it right back to Wright Field, Dayton, Ohio, where the Roswell wreckage was um, uh, eventually shipped to. Right, okay. And um, it's ho- holy cow. I mean, is it the case that this general, I forget his name, I have it quoted on the site, uh, an article Billy Cox, the reporter, did on this same same stuff, came out um, a little bit after I was putting all this together, that yeah, he uh, the whole thing kind of agreed, well, maybe that general hushed up the Roswell crash in one sense, the other, but also the reason that it went back to Dayton, Ohio in the first place is because he wanted his knitting all back and did not want this secret metal in the hands of regular rank and file military. Hmm. Peter, what's uh, your response? A bendable metal that retakes its original shape dates back to the thirties. It's not a post 1947 invention. Huh? Yeah, I remember you talking about that before. That's the only reason I wanted to ask about that. Nick had a slightly different take on that. But, uh, Peter, what's your your thoughts about all that? Um, I I guess I'm old school on this. I'm not only do I, um, again, both sides of the argument, um, after um, Guy left the job that he had as... uh, key organizer of the the Roswell conference, um, it became my job. And either the first or second year I had it, I kind of went against uh, some of the prevailing thinking and invited Nick Redfern, a, a good friend and esteemed colleague, to speak on his theory that it was a purely terrestrial event. Um, I thought He made a good case for it, but not good enough for me. Um, I am open-minded, and, you know, I won't lose sleep if somebody can prove that it's as Nick sees it rather than as, say, um, Stanton Friedman and and Don Schmidt and Tom Carey and other Roswell specialists see it. But I, I still see evidence to that effect, you know, one of the things, sometimes it's small things that stick with you. Um, you guys know the name, I believe, of General Roger Ramey. He was a, yes. a ranking mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. general at the time, and he is certainly one of the godfathers of the cover-up. Um, there is a series of news photos uh, surrounding the humiliating Jesse Marcel posing with the mogul weather balloon pieces uh, taken the day after. Um, Obviously, the worst moment, most humiliating moment in that poor man's life uh, still makes me angry. And in one of this series of photos from that period of time taken by a legitimate um, news photographer, I think for one of the wire services, whose name I remember for the quirky reason, even though it was years before, uh, probably it was an image in uh, Ian Fleming's mind, um, The photographer's Mm -hmm. name was James Bond Robinson. And there is a photo, some of you guys may be familiar with it, of um, Ramey holding some kind of piece of paper in his hand. Um, Bearing in mind that news photos like this were taken with these wonderful 4x5 big Graflex cameras, which had phenomenal resolution, um, the technology had yet to catch up with that photo and even close studies of the thing in his hand 
showed it was, you know, um, a, a document, a paper of some sort, but you couldn't read it. Now, when was it? Half a dozen years ago or so that the optics technology caught up with it, and nobody has yeah, ever suggested it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has ever messed around with the um, the imagery that is captured. It simply was there, but it wasn't accessible with current optical technology. And I'll tell you what, I still think that is one of the most phenomenal pieces of evidence, anecdotal as it were, that we have. You can see key words in there, crash, saucer, um, disc and body. All the words, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And for me, you know, that's the equivalent of, um, that's the money shot. Uh, You can't, I guess you can, but nobody has ever suggested that it has been faked. And it throws a real wrench into um, my dear friend and colleague Nick Redfern's purely terrestrial explanation. Um, where some of the things he brings up throws a wrench into the more exotic explanation. It's one of the reasons why it's really important in this field to keep dialogues open, uh, unconstrained, freewheeling, open to any new evidence or alleged evidence that, you know, um, checks out. Um, And not opinions don't mean much. Um, I, I sometimes to digress for one minute, people will ask me a question sometimes in a radio broadcast. And one of my most stock answers is, I don't know. Um, and I don't know because I don't have enough information on the subject they've asked to have what I would call an informed opinion. And, I actually believe in having an informed opinion rather than just an opinion. Um, it's a free country and everybody can have one, but if it ain't based on much except, you know, um, what you feel um, or what you want to believe, it, it just is, it doesn't matter. Um, right. But yeah, uh, I think that, that for me is, is uh, that, that James Bond Johnson photograph is phenomenal. And, um, really a seminal piece of, of early UFO evidence. Chris, you had some thoughts. There's, you were telling me about Roswell um, that you wanted to talk about, some of the thoughts that you had about it. Yeah, I just want to say, Peter, you're, you're so much correct with the Remy um, document. Um, I believe it's Ron Gear is still trying to discern what else is said on that document. But yeah, that yes. is an interesting piece of uh, and, and evidence. Ron's a great researcher and, and a good friend. So hey, I interject. Gonna... He is speaking on that this year for anybody that's listening and has a chance of being. Yeah. That, that memo, that document, I believe there's, sorry to interrupt Chris, but so the topic isn't lost. That topic is being addressed. People that are very curious and what the heck is Peter talking about? Mm-hmm. There's a whole lecture that I'm, I'm not affiliated with at my event. That's going on either the UFO Museum or the Convention Center. And I know that's there's exciting. like a $10,000. Yeah, yeah, but there's a $10,000 bounty on anybody that can get higher resolution on what that document wow. says. But well, I figure if we could figure out the Roswell slides, we we're pretty sure we could figure this out too. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I, I, he went there. 
Yeah, oh, that... oh, I'm going to go there uh, in a little bit, but not right, not right yet. Um, the thought I had was, I go back to Marcel, and really, he came out of nowhere until he didn't come out of any. Uh, I can't. I got my tons mixed up. Um, he came out of nowhere in 1980 when uh, Stanton Freeman found him in Louisiana. And he was interviewed and he gave the testimony of what he had uh, seen and had done. Um, that sticks out to me. I know Kevin Randall has a new book about Roswell, kind of dismissing that basically all the witnesses uh, in some way, shape or form are either misinformed or they don't have all the facts right or they're just not remembering right or they just fabricated it. And he had stated that he thought Marcel was a bit of a embellisher. Um, that doesn't sit right with me. I'm not trying to throw shade at Kevin Randall, but that kind of irked me. But I think one thing that we can, and maybe you guys can help me because I, I'm having a hard time remembering if, where I heard this. But didn't Mac Brazel commit suicide, like, in the 50s or maybe even a little bit later, and he became a recluse because of that's, this event? That's news to me, if that's true. I'm not aware of that either. All right. Oh. Maybe, hmm, maybe I'm remembering. Maybe it was his son. I can't remember. Maybe it was somebody affiliated with Mac Brazel. But in any case, they committed suicide because of what had happened. Maybe it was the sun. I, I can't re I remember hearing it on the Paracast a while ago. But in any case, the Proctors, the 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 next door neighbor to Mac Razzle, um, you know, I, I look at Loretta's testimony of the metal that would reform, uh, the wood that would not burn, um, and I just I don't know. I mean, the thing for me is I take a, a different look at it. Um, I'm more now looking at this as a maybe, just maybe, when Jack Parsons and Ron L. Hubbard went out into the desert prior to 1947 and did those uh, sigils and those magical things that they did, maybe they opened something up because the, the time that they did that and then, and afterwards, I don't know exactly when that was, but it was prior to 1947. You have Ke uh, um, not Kevin Arnold, um, Arnold signing, and then you have Roswell, and then after that, you have the Great Wave of 1952. So I'm just thinking possibly, and I guess this also ties into. I know I'm going to go there. Tom DeLon, and he saying uh, he said that. This was a craft that was purposely crashed here on Earth to um, give technology to us, just like they crashed something in Russia or China or wherever. Um, and also, I'm going to go to the fact that in the WikiLeaks that came out just this past year, he mentions to McCaslin that that's where they took the stuff from Roswell was Wright Patterson Air Force Base. And if there's smoke, there's fire, because Leonard Stringfield and all his work has pointed towards something happening at Roswell. I'm 
I don't know. I mean, could it be extraterrestrial? I don't know. Could it be interdimensional? We, we don't know. Obviously, something happened of major defense significance. Um, and unfortunately, I really do feel that we will never get to the bottom of this. Um, that's the, the sad part is because think about it, all the primary witnesses are dead. So the, the, basically the secret dies with them and um, we're not going to have any revelations barring Ron Regeer figures out or can see anything more with that document or, or we get another data dump via WikiLeaks. I mean, that's the best we can hope for at this point, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Roswell is like its own island mirage. You see the evidence, and it's all right there, but there's really not much to grasp at anymore. It's a ra- it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, it, it kind of is, and I do agree again that uh, the memo, that's the the Ramey memo, whether you credit Dave Rudiak and now Roger Trigger speaking on it, mm-hmm. that that could be. Oh, I hate to use this. Uh, such a cliche phrase as Rosetta Stone, but blowing up that memo and getting better resolution, like you said, Chris, you know, everybody that knows anything is dead or, you know, they can't be trusted with their memory at this point. But if you have that actual historical document blown up in better resolution to where we can all actually see what it said, might still be the best chance of, of shedding any more light on it. But, um, for, and I, it's funny, especially when you mentioned, um, the the crash in Germany, the crashes in Roswell that are, you know, the, the, the I guess the folklore or the tales that those were given to us. It, it's, I, I find it ironic that the, the religious or the paranormal guy that I'm affiliated with being lands on the Roswell incident with the most mundane and the most <laughs> naturalistic <laughs> and the least paranormal yeah, belief system yeah. about what really happened at Roswell in the sense that just like the uh, Ramey memo says, I don't dispute that there was a disc. I don't dispute that there were bodies. In fact, it just I think it's a case, of, and that there was a cover-up. I don't dispute that the witnesses were threatened with death if they spoke of it. It was covered up for decades, but what I really think was happening was, A, some very highly classified government technology, I mean, the fact that these Germans were on U.S. soil in New Mexico and Texas and at Wright-Patterson, the president ordered that no Nazis be allowed in. So the CIA, or at least what would become known as the CIA, went against presidential orders to bring them into the country. And then one of their pet projects makes the headlines. Heck yeah, people were, they were threatening farmers with death if that got out. And the sad part is, I think there was uh, Nick makes it a case one way. I made it very differently in 2003. And when I lectured in uh, 2007, uh, when Peter was here, that was, you know, that we gave the flowers to Renee and all that, that was really fun. Uh, but at the end of that lecture, um, that there was some uh, really horrible, uh, not morally justifiable from a point of view, especially in the forties, human experimentation being covered up that uh, was involved in the Roswell crash as well, that, yeah, everything that happened between the highly classified um, technology, the the veritable treason of bringing Nazis into the country to work on this technology for us. But, hey, who knows? You know, we had a Cold War to win now. We might be speaking Russian if Operation Paperclip hadn't happened. 
and the fact that the U.S. government, long before the Roswell incident, has a documented history of experimenting on humans without their consent, even to the point of death, that that plays into this as well. Heck yeah, it was covered up. And who's to say that Operation Paperclip wasn't just a furthering of the Fourth Reich or the Third Reich becoming the Fourth Reich? And basically the Nazis knew they were going to lose, so be assimilated into our culture. You yeah. know, one half goes to the U.S. and one half goes to Russia. So, yeah, I agree and, with you. Whether they meant to do it or not, that is what happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Peter, for you, besides the uh, the photographic evidence that you spoke about, what for you most lends this being an extraterrestrial event? Well, I, I think if you have one person's account, <clears throat> even if they're a credible, decent, you know, uh, laudatory member of their community, it's one person's subjective account. Um, and a lot of people in this field give less credit than maybe is due in certain instances to um, the human testimony. But one of the reasons I have great admiration for Don Schmidt and Tom Carey, two, of course, of our, our leading uh, Roswell event researchers as specialists, is their book, Children of Roswell, um, where they interview literally dozens of individuals who were young people at the time, whose parents were peripherally, in some cases directly, involved in the events. And the level of intimidation that every witness discusses that was put upon them as children by military police who visited their homes and with a smile on their face very quietly threatened to kill them and their families if they ever mm -hmm. talked about what they thought they knew or what they had, might have overheard mommy and daddy say. Um, it, it struck me as, uh, and I, I, I genuinely, um, you read these accounts one after the other after the other, and remember that absolutely none of the individuals Don and Tom interviewed wanted notoriety, asked for a dollar, or any money whatsoever to be included in their book. Um, they wanted to be on record to go to um, such a dark place, to go to such a, a murderous, draconian effort to terrify children by the dozens. Um, it seems a, kind of over the top to do so if the secret involved were something terrestrial. Now, that's a purely subjective reaction on my part. Um, by the same token, um, you mentioned James Forrestal before. I guess I've done as much, in some cases, more research than many of my colleagues on, on our first Secretary of Defense. And there is no question in my mind that his death was predicated by a profound nervous breakdown um, and knowing something about his character, his foibles, his weaknesses, his strengths, 
Um, this man was a devoted civil servant, uh, a brilliant tactician. He is literally the father of our modern defense establishment. He created the Department of Defense uh, at the orders of President Truman, and he broke. Um, I feel the crucial factor was knowing that under his tenure as the first Secretary of Defense, and bear in mind he was sworn in six weeks after Roswell, um, he knew as much as the President of the United States knew. Um, and he knew that we had come no closer to drawing a bead on what these craft were, what the intelligences were behind them, that the most powerful military establishment in the history of the world that we are aware of um, was helpless in the face of this new mm, intelligence presence, whatever you want to call it. Um, I Maybe I'm not drawing the parallels uh, well for you, but um, for me, it takes a lot. Um, if this were you know, a Nazi secret project, I could be wrong, of course, but I don't think that it would have caused that level of um, reaction, of um, dysfunction, <coughs> of fear um, that a truly foreign uh, aspect, presence, um, challenge would. Sure. And, and, and see, the thing is with me, and I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty anti extraterrestrial hypothesis now. I think you all got, all you guys know that, but even if what, what doesn't really stand up to me about the whole Nazi scientist hypothesis is that why keep that secret now, 70 years later, when we know all this other work has been done, it's all out there and has been out there now for 20 years that we use Nazi scientists. So why still, why still come up with the whole idea that it's, that it's a weather balloon? That, the, that's the part that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me about that hypothesis. But that's the thing about this. It's like, there's no one hypothesis that makes full sense when you really think about it. That's the, that's what's kind of, um, that's what Greg Bishop brought that up when we had, we did our round table with him and Nick, you know, you can go to, you can go down one alley and say, okay, this makes sense. And then you really start to examine it. Well, now it doesn't really make sense, but it's kind of frustrating because no matter where you go, it, it, one not one hypothesis makes sense. There's always some hole there. So it, it, sure. it has an interesting. It has. I mean, maybe that's the same as nine eleven or, or the Kennedy assassination or any of these other kind of conspiracy theories. But it seems like Roswell. That it, that's that's very much true of this particular incident. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I earlier mentioned the Roswell slides and I've yeah. only mentioned this to two other people. I haven't mentioned, I haven't talked about this anywhere, not on Facebook, not with you. I don't believe I have, uh, only to Mike Cleland and to Walter Bosley. And it may not be a popular one, but damn it. I believe this to be the case. The Roswell slides was nothing more than some kind of intelligence operation to 
dissuade, to um, ridicule, to make fun of, and to do damage to the UFO research community as a whole, but not only to that point, but to each person who was credible that was in Mexico City for that, namely Richard Dolan, Tom Carey, and Don Schmidt. I won't include Hami Musan because obviously he's less incredible, but Walter Bosley had mentioned on a podcast, uh, I think about two years ago, that he just from a distance had thought that that was exactly what had happened, mm-hmm. is that they were set up. And uh, I, I, I've heard Nick Redfern mention this before. He was, uh, he was a, uh, a person that they wanted to wrangle in and get him to be a part of that well before um, Slidebox Media and I forget all the Adam Dew, I believe his name, and all those people that were from the Roswell Slide people. Um, they tried to get him on board, and he said, well, I believe he wanted to see a higher-resolution picture and they said, no, we didn't have one. And he basically said, no, I don't want to have any part of that. And I also believe they tried to wrangle in Kevin Randall from memory. I, I, everything's mixing together. But I believe they tried to wrangle in Kevin Randall, too. In any case, it makes sense that you would wrangle in Don Schmidt and Tom Carey and Richard Dolan because those three, one wrote two volumes of national security uh, the national security state and how it relates to the UFO enigma. And the other two have written multiple books on Roswell and have gotten or gave really good, um, uh, gave a really good case on to what it may be in their viewpoint. It was extraterrestrial or something crashed that was not from Earth. But Walter Bosley and Mike Cullen, when I'd spoke to him, I both mentioned, you know, especially to Walter Bosley, how easy would that be for an intelligence agency to do? And they said, quite simple. Um, I just, during that entire time, if you look back and you look at the UFO research community, especially on Facebook, like Philip Mantle, I remember having a discussion with him. He was like, Chris, it's all about the money. And I said, yeah, I, I think that's a really red herring. I, I think the money aspect is a thing that the UFO researchers can squabble about and like pick sides and they'll and they'll just squabble and they won't be really discussing the issue. And I, I just I don't know how people couldn't see that. I, I've tried to um I actually emailed Richard Dolan at one point, and I know he's immensely busy and he's a rock star, but <laughs> uh, he never did get back to me, which is fine. Uh-huh. But I just saw from that point, before Walter Bosley and before my uh, talking to Mike Cullen, and Mike Cullen said the same thing. He thought it was some kind of intelligence operation to discredit all those. And look, at I mean, Richard Dolan took a hit for a while. He's like Teflon, though. Um, but definitely Don Schmidt and Tom Carey, they were, I mean, I get it. Like they fell for it. And I, I, 
again, it's a psychological warfare operation. I mean, that's what these groups do. I mean, Rendlesham was chock full of this. I mean, it, basically, UFO research for the last uh, 10 years now, I, I've seen operations going on where it just all I have to do is throw a pebble into the water and see the ripples, and we squabble and talk, and we don't talk about the real issue. We fight amongst each other about this or that or something stupid, and I never really cared whether it was a, uh, a dummy, a uh, um, a alien or a dummy or a mummified child. I didn't care about that. What I was seeing, and I was surprised that many other people had said this or could see it, that it was some sort of operation to discredit those three. I mean, you had the, the physician that was at the uh, Be Witness um, Roswell slide thing where they were saying it looks like an uh, alien, blah, 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 blah. And it was just, they brought all these experts in, but yet none of these experts you could verify. And then the funniest thing is, I remember they tried to say that we tried to de-blur the placard and we couldn't see what it says. And we even had government, U.S. government officials try to, to de-blur the placard and they couldn't. So it can't be. And mm -hmm. then literally a day after you have Isaac Coy and a few other people said, no, this is what it says. Here it is. Boom, done. And now, again, we are like, oh, see, Richard Dolan, you're bad. Tom Carey, you're bad. And uh, Don Schmidt, you're bad for even associating yourself with that. You should Can be ashamed. Can I jump in for a moment, guys? Yeah. 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 Um, number one, um, I... I, I'm looking at this from a somewhat different view that you are, although I found what you're saying fascinating, but I, I don't think it's accurate. I think it's kind of rom romanticizing and building up an event that was organized by Jaime Massan, who is a UFO personality in Central America. He's a genuine mm -hmm. celebrity. I, I know Jaime a little bit. He's a nice guy, but he is all about sensationalism and that is part of the way that that subject is dealt with in that part of the world. The The photos were absolutely embarrassing from the start for me, but um, I, I I don't see, uh, you know, a, a giant hidden hand here. I see a promoter who got hold of or was contacted by somebody who found these pictures in his aunt's estate probably ends together, thought maybe there's some way I can make money here, got highly interested. Um, for me, the the photo in question is probably, most likely, a child who sadly died and is in the form of a mummy, maybe two years old or under, in some kind of glass and wooden case in a second or third world museum with a sign that grew to have a great deal of mystique around it because some people alleged that they couldn't, you know, crack the code or, you know, see it clearly like the original Ramey photograph. As far as Richard goes and as far as Don goes, I don't, first, I don't think Tom was really caught up in this. Richard, um, being a distinctive personality in the work, was invited to come as an American ufologist and historian um, to get his impression of it. Um, I, I should also say 
because the fact is he's a close friend of mine as well as a a steam colleague uh, and lives fairly close by richard is always so far behind in his correspondence because <laughs> of the thousands of people that write to him and he'll never catch up i don't know if he's quite <laughs> at travis walton's point of some tens of thousands of unanswered emails i saw travis about a week and a half ago but richard went he looked at it, he decided that it was what he thought it was, which was nonsense, and came back and got attacked. Now, if Jaime had contacted me and said, I've got these two photos here, I'll send you copies of them, um, I, uh, you know, I want you to be here, I'll pay you an honorarium and cover your expenses, my first thought quite directly would not be, Hmm, I don't know if I want to get involved in this because these things obviously look like crap to me. My first thought would be, I have never been to Mexico City. I want to check this place <laughs> out. I want to eat real <laughs> Mexican food in Mexico. I want to have a great time at this event. And I think that these photos are crap. Um, Don and I had a long talk about this. Don Schmidt, a week or so after the fact, we were speaking at a small regional conference in Pennsylvania and we sat up till about one, just talking this through in the lobby. He was so upset. He was absolutely so contrite. And essentially what he said, and I'm not speaking out of school here. This is not some secret. He said, I, I got so caught up in the possibility, in the possibility that there mm -hmm. might be some connection, even though my intuition said there wasn't. I drank the Kool-Aid. I went. I was excited. Obviously, when I got a good look at it and a chance to really uh, make an informed decision, it was a tremendous disappointment. And now people are, you know, trying to drum me out of the work and telling me, um, you know, I'm a fool for falling for it and, you know, why am I even involved? And I said, you know, the talk that you're going to give tomorrow, uh, and, and then basically just saying, you know, I blew it. I made an error. Can you forgive me and let me get back to work? And that's the way he began his talk the next day, and he got a tremendous ovation. <laughs> I still think he's one of the best in that's the great. business. Um, Richard, for me, there's nobody else like him. In this case, I think you're kind of making it into something that it's not. And it's easy to do in this work, and I may be completely you know, out in left field here, and you may be absolutely spot on. But I think this is much ado about something that is less than nothing and that a couple of decent people in the work got caught up in. I mean, hell, they don't hold a candle to me right now. But, you know, um, you're tarred. And for those armchair researchers who sit there, you know, um, making judgments on the people who do their best or try to do their best to get to the bottom of these things, have the courage to publish around it, take the hits, sometimes have the glory. Um, it's very easy to criticize, and now more and more in this increasingly sp conspiratorial age, where from the president, you know, we hear the the, the, the stupidest damn things imaginable as far as <laughs> conspiracies go, beginning with the fact that our former president isn't really an American and wasn't born an American, secret Muslim, and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's pathetic, 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 but at the same time, 
it is more and more the case because it is kind of it's a creature of the internet and it's like it grows from exposure to atomic bombs like the great creatures of the 1950s movies we're in a terrible time for getting to the truth any jerk's opinion uh, conspiracy theory loopy idea is um, open to serious interpretation because who is anybody to say that you know that the Queen of England isn't really a reptile and has you know <laughs> very good plastic skin um, I you know where do we draw the line here for me critical no, thinking is, with all due respect here I, I, I agree but Walter Bosley ran operations very similar to what what would would happen, and he had told me on two occasions that this would be a great way to take down people. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I found that very interesting that, like I said, and I do know, and I'm pretty sure you know as well, Don Smith and Tom Carey, they're not very good friends with uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Um, they got a lot of hell because of that book, the real Area 51, and I'm. It just makes sense to me, and I'm a nobody, but it makes sense no, to you're me. Not. You could, no, no, I know, but I'm just saying it makes sense to me to take down three people who are very good at what they do in one false swoop, and you get to the community because, like it or not, Facebook is the place where we do all our networking and pretty much all our thought process now for UFO research, at least my younger generation. I don't know about your, your generation. generation. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know, I just, I don't, I don't know. Well, you know what? Point well made. And you're absolutely right. Uh, What it comes down to is who the hell knows? No, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I was wondering, I was bouncing the uh, idea off the wall here and see if it well, would stick. But when you have like the cases like Richard Doty and those things that are actually proven oh, to true. have happened, you know, it, it, it does, it does make you wonder. I actually had not thought about it in yep. that light that Chris just said, but there, there could be something there. Uh, I honestly, to me, I, I just, I just thought it was, I, I just thought it was people that really wanted to believe that it was real, uh, mixed with a little bit of sensationalism, and it, it, but you don't know, you never know, and that's that's the thing about psychological operations like that is that they can be couched in in, in like several different layers that you don't know. Uh, Peter, do you uh, do you need to go, or or are you have a little bit longer? Because I wanted to talk a little yeah, bit about Robert little Bigelow. Okay, uh, we did get a late start. Yeah, and then the uh, then Comcast decided to screw with us. Um, the other revelation this week, and I actually I have just seen the soundbite. I have not watched the entire interview because I have not had time. But that was Robert Bigelow coming out, and I'd like to get you guys' thoughts about that. Uh, you know, he did make the statement some, something to the effect that he had poured millions of dollars into research on UFOs, and that he believes that well, basically, we are not alone. So who wants to take it? I'll take the opposing point of view after someone else has had a chance to speak. Okay. You go, guy. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
and then I'll speak. Well, um, actually, I, I was afraid that I had knocked us off the internet somehow when you mentioned very, very early on um, that you were going to, uh, in addition to um, Peter's troubles or uh, of late, that you were going to mention Robert Bigelow. I uh, punched up an article, and that's right when my phone cut off. I'm like, oh, great, I'm using the internet, and I, I booted myself off of Adam. <laughs> so I was afraid I'd done that. But here's and it's a, it's, it's a short quote. Yes, he said that. Mm-hmm. Yes, Edgar Mitchell has said the same thing. He believes we're not alone. He believes he's heard testimony from others. And to me, there's a lot. It's it just like the one case where I said earlier, President Peter said that President Truman and James Forrestal, you know, didn't know what was attacking Washington or what was flying in our skies and, you know, far superior where one of the, the slides that I've used in the past was President Truman specifically said no Nazis were allowed on foreign soil, yet the CIA or the group that did it anyway, and, you know, and then covered it up even from him. That's history anyway. That's part of the talk I do. But I think there's a big case of one hand not knowing what the other is doing. You have within this whole military-industrial complex, government, banking, alternate energy, suppressed energy, discoveries. You, you don't have, you have a lot of cases of the left hand not knowing what the right hand is it, doing. It's much more of a conglomerate than people want to realize, usually. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's well, you said it better than, than I did. Thanks for chiming in, Rob. And what I did was, just because I knew it was out there, LiveScience.com, their article that covers the story well, that fairly, that you're talking about, Adam, aliens, have visited Earth, space entrepreneur Robert Bigelow believes. The second half of the article, where not as many people read because they don't read past the headlines these days, live science, of of all the ones that are out there, actually does a good semi-op-ed point of view, and that's all I'm going to say is, yes, Robert Bigelow has made a lot of headlines. I believe the media is pushing this belief for a long time because, as Peter is a victim of, these headlines sell papers. They get eyeballs mm-hmm. and they get mm-hmm. clicks. The media is pushing this Robert Bigelow, just like they did the Edgar Mitchell and all that stuff. But what they're doing is they're taking people who have quoted something that they believe, just as Richard said, or I'm sorry, just as you said earlier, Peter, you're just going about what people believe. But here's the quote I'll read is that um, Seth, Sost- or, sorry, Seth Shostak, Shostak and um, Stephen Hawking are quoted in this article too, but quote, He's not the only Silicon Valley type entrepreneur in the tech industry that thinks we're being visited, Shostak said. Even so, the solid evidence of these visitors is non-existent. Interstellar travel, quoting, is very difficult. It's an energy problem. Um, If there were some reason for modern-day alien visitors, Shostak said, someone would have strong evidence by now. And then it concludes, um, well, if you really do think they're here, then why is it the evidence is so poor? If the evidence was good, we wouldn't be arguing about it. We'd be investigating it. We have satellites monitoring the Earth all the time. They don't see these guys, yet they're apparently so visible that a random guy like Bob Bigelow can see them. And I'll back it up to the Roswell discussion, or a great question, Adam, when you said, what's the best proof for an alien hypothesis on this? Is it 
this quote in this article, LiveScience.com, perfectly fairly treats the Robert Bigelow story the way that we're used to seeing it for the past couple of days. It includes, even so, the solid evidence of these visitors is non-existent. It's a good story. It tells headlines. It gets clicks. It's got the, it's got all the I want to believe factor that we know sells, 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 fires the imagination, sells movie tickets and T-shirts, and it sells Roswell as a tourism town. But when you ask every individual what is the evidence for it, I, I, I honestly think that you have people who strongly believe something that they cannot prove. They want to convince you of the same, and they think you're an idiot if you disagree. That is called religion, and I say that as a religious person. I, I, I firmly believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Everything I believe about Jesus, though, I can't prove to you subjectively any more than people can prove aliens exist. There's no evidence. And, you know, that's, that's a I'll, good I'll point, guy. That's that, a good point. Mm-hmm. I'll freely admit that I have religious views, and they're subjective in their mind, and I can't prove them to you. I wish people that um, believed in aliens without offering proof and evidence would at least admit the same thing, that this is a matter of faith and belief for them. All right. Any responses? Well, number Um, one, um, I I think that uh, first guy and I have discussed these matters from points of view of uh, belief orientation uh, from a secular point of view for as long as we've known each other. And I, learned a lot from him about the way that some folks who don't see these subjects the way I do see them, and that's been a gift to me. Um, For me, a lot of this comes back to a single iconic image in the quest for knowledge and the paranormal and UFOs, and it is the iconic poster that we were all introduced to in the pilot Mm. episode of a little program that started back in the 90s called The X-Files. The wording could have been anything, but it was specifically and remains, I want to believe. And therein lies a tremendous amount of the secular appeal, um, the religious appeal, the uh, focusing on the beyond, the ununderstandable, uh, interpretations of life elsewhere, of miracles, of you know the the roots of religion. Um, for some people, belief in extraterrestrial visitations or interdimensional visitations or what have you is um, I've heard it called. I, I think it was even Carl Jung who compared it to the the pantheon of new gods plural, small g, that mankind longs to have come and solve our problems because they've gotten beyond us and we poor human beings have made such a mess of it. So let the space people come and, you know, they can fix it. Um, But the desire to believe, the drive to believe that there is more than, you know, we see and experience in our basic senses is endemic in the culture, or just the opposite, a complete cutoff. The dogmatic pragmatists and um, folks who feel that this is all there is, and when you die, you go to the worms, and not to 
Jesus, Buddha, Mohammed, or, you know, interstellar creatures. Um, who are any of us to say what truly happens after we go through the door and find out what happens next, what we believe, and um, that's another thing. And if those beliefs sustain us, if they give us peace of mind, if they um, give us happiness and a knowledge or hope for knowledge of um, a beyond that does not stop and an eternal reality, more power to anybody um, who draws strength, strength from their beliefs and more power to anybody who doesn't know what's around the corner or what happens next. Growing up in the Reformed Jewish tradition, um, I remember asking my rabbi a question when I was a kid, and the answer was in so many words, and this is in the Reformed tradition, not conservative or orthodox Judaism, which are um, orthodox Judaism, Judaism is almost functionally identical to Roman Catholicism in terms of belief and dogma and heaven and hell and guilt and repentance and, you know, uh, salvation. But in the Reformed tradition, we're not exactly sure what happens. And we're not sure that the Messiah will come back. Is that a bad thing? Mm, I don't think so. Is it a good thing? Not necessarily, but it's the way it is. Um, I like mysteries. Um, I, I think we'd live in a very boring world if, you know, we understood all of the answers to the questions that we long to have answered. Yes, yes. Uh, Agreed. Very much so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very much so. I like the mystery. I like not knowing. That's why, that's why I'm okay that every explanation for Roswell doesn't quite fit. <laughs> Chris, what do you, what did you think about all this about Bigelow and what he had to say? Well, Bigelow, to give some background, owned Skinwalker Ranch. He formed NIDS, National Institute of Discovery Science, and he bought a lot of smart people, a lot of smart scientists. He bought from the military-industrial complex. He bought from the scientific community, and he had them come work for him. And he paid a lot of money for that, and he got results. I don't know the results. I know you don't know the results, but you got results. And how we know that is from George Knapp's book with Colin Kelleher, uh, mm -hmm. Hunt for the Skinwalker. Mm -hmm. Great and book. Yes, it is. Um, yep. And we most definitely can see from that book there's something weird going on there. Now, where this comes into play from the 60 Minutes piece is he obviously has more, to, more data than you or I, because he paid, he bought and paid for it, and he right. also bought. Did he not buy Mufon a couple of years back? Oh no, I don't think that's a fair characterization. But there was something close to a scandal about exchange of information for money, as I recall. Yeah, and he had all the FAA, and I still think this is still a thing. All FAA reports that deal with UFOs go directly to him. The big low nice work space. if you can get it. Yeah, I know, but I'm yeah. just, I'm just saying, obviously yeah. he's got more data than you or I, I I'm, I, I don't know uh, that I want to just say that he wants to believe. I, I honestly think he knows something that we don't. And I guess I'll be unpopular here 
by saying this, but I've, through various contacts, um, know that he's one of the backers of Tom DeLon's Secret Machines projects. Hmm. Um, how much money he's given to that, I do not know. In what capacity, I do not know, but I do know that he is one of the backers. He may be even one of the advisors. I, I do know Jacques Vallée was an advisor to uh, Robert Bigelow, too, at NIDS during the Skinwalker Ranch stuff. And, um, yeah, I'm just I'm going off of I think he's got a lot more data than what you or I have. I don't think it's necessarily more data than the government has, but it is interesting that he gets a contract from NASA and there's no, like NASA's not, no big deal. It's like public relations. He said that there's aliens. And in fact, you don't have to look in space. They're already here on earth. Yeah. When you think that NASA or the government would be like, whoa, 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 we're distancing ourselves from that, but they're not. It's kind of like the same case with Bob Lazar. He's got United nuclear. He's got contracts with Raytheon, but yet people still don't believe that he worked at S4 and had dealings at Area 51. So, yeah, we're in a funny conundrum there where, again, I think there's he's got more data than you or I, and so I would have to say I do believe the guy. And maybe I'm naive or foolish, but I do believe him. I mean, money buys a lot of things. I mean, I know money's not everything, but mm-hmm. money does buy a lot of things, and quite possibly it has bought him uh, – into the knowledge wheel that we are trying to st- reach for every single day with this topic. So who knows? Maybe we'll find out sooner than later. I think that's a, a really good analysis. Sometimes well said. just mm-hmm. critical thinking, logical thinking. Um, it may well be just as you've laid it out. Um, one- may not, but that makes sense to me. Since Chris has brought up Tom DeLong, do you is he a negative or a positive for the UFO community? <laughs> I'm not oh, sure. Yeah. I think he's a positive for the media sensationalism pushing this. It, I was that was great information, Chris. I did not know that Bigelow was a backer and advisor to him. Uh, I, I I didn't either. It just adds <laughs> yeah. it, it adds more intrigue to me to the idea that this is what the media is pushing. It, this is what the media is using popular. I mean, a celebrity, but I mean, we're still waiting on Tom DeLong's revelation that was going to come in 60 days and still didn't come. Well, it's pushed back another 60 days. We know this, mm-hmm. but whether Bigelow has bought information, he has these beliefs, he has these data I believe that he believes what he's saying is true, but does he have evidence is still where I'm at. So I, I think it's, there's only two sides. Either disclosure is coming, disclosure of a true, honest-to-God, extraterrestrial presence, and Bigelow and Tom DeLong and all that are helping push it along, or <laughs> the powers that be want us to believe that there is an extraterrestrial presence. And that they are is, hellbent on forcing it down our throats, whether it's true or not. The million dollar and it could have to do with yeah. I think it's all one world government related. Belief in an extraterrestrial presence, especially if it is actively here on Earth, 
especially if it is hostile, but even if it is benevolent or if both or all three are true, forces us to become a united world under one government. And I think that's the point of it all. I think that's why. I think that's the money shot. They want us to become a one world government under one religion, one monetary system, one Federal Reserve Bank, and they are using belief in extraterrestrials to make us all uh, slide down that path. So, and I'm going to be really unpopular here now. Really unpopular. No, you're not already. You're, you're, no, you're not. Yeah, I know. You said that earlier. No, but I don't, I don't like you. He did. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was going to go towards basically then what Tom DeLong is striving for with Robert Bigelow and whoever is, you know, I do know Jacques Vallée, Kit Green, um, Hal Putoff is another one of his advisors. And yes, this is not in the WikiLeaks stuff. This is stuff that I've gotten from my sources that I've busted my ass for the last couple months. And Adam knows I've taken a lot of flack for it. I don't really care if you believe me or not. I'm just telling you what I've been told. Um, and this, this, this disclosure or whatever this announcement is supposedly going to happen in July now. Because of various reasons, Tom, um, I, I, I think he is being used. And I don't think, I think he thinks, <laughs> I think he doesn't think he's being used and that he's trusting that they're giving him true information, which part of it is probably is true information. I think what was surprising to a lot of people, and I think this is why the UFO research community as a whole doesn't like him is because he went to Lockheed Skunk Works with an idea and they liked it. And then they were like, hmm, this could be a possibility to get us out of this painted corner that we painted ourselves into along with the, the government side. And government was like, you know what? This is a great way to do it, but we're going to do it on our, our time frame in our way that we want to do it. And it just it's funny, Stephen Greer says the same thing, even though Stephen Greer and Tom Dolan had a falling out. Basically, what you were saying, guy, with a one-world government, that's basically, are we talking like Blue Beam? I know that's not a real thing, but like, are they, and obviously this is pure conjecture or speculation, but I don't know what the hell they're trying to do with that. I mean, are they trying to scare us or are they trying to acclimate us? I mean, I do know that, remember a few months ago where they had the seven planets uh, announcement where they said they found subinhabitable plants within our solar system. I do know <laughs> that was one of the things, the one of the drips to get the public to take that yet another step towards. Oh, we're not alone, you know. Because really, if you think about NASA, has been irrelevant for how long now? I mean, it's going to be private industry, like Bob Bigelow said in the sixty minutes piece, is basically the private privatization of space is going to be where it's at and government's going to be behind years behind. So they better just get on board. And I think, and I know Tom Dolan has said that in an interview way prior to the secret machines project. And I also think that they realized that once the privatization of space happened, they wouldn't be able to control this secret for that long. So why not co-opt somebody like that? 
to get this message out in mm. their way. Mm. So, yeah. That's a good point, I think. What was that, Adam? Oh, I just said I think that's a good point. Uh, Peter, no, yeah. Peter, yeah. do you see him as a positive or a negative? Somebody has to say. And we'll read their work and come to their best informed decision, not prejudiced toward or against an individual with such a unique background like Tom has. From everything I understand, he's a really nice guy. He's very sincere. Um, and if my life depended on it, I couldn't name uh, a Blink-182 song in any sense of, of possibility. But <laughs> I'm interested in him as a, you know, kind of cultural phenomena. Um, I'm as interested in the impact he is having on 20 and 30-somethings who maybe this is the person who brought them into the work as whatever authenticity he may have. Um, I do believe he is very sincere. Um, I think he sees this as an important calling that, like I'd like to think the best of us in the work, um, try to, well, um, be educators in our own way and at least open the door for somebody to walk into the foyer so that they can then begin to, you know, look out all the Pandora's boxes there and the lids. When you open them, there are a million other lids. Um, I wish him well. And I think he may be being played. At the same time, if it helps us mm, produce more impetus, um, if it assists people in caring less about what other people think about what they think about the subject, that's a, that's a win. And I think we are seeing that every year now that more and more people care less and less what other people think of their opinions on UFOs. Um, I'm going to continue to watch them, to wish them well, um, to hope that something good comes out of it. Um, and that if he is being played, that um, we still come out ahead of the game. Sure. And Peter, I won't fault you for not knowing a Blink-182 song when you saw the Velvet Underground, so I'm Whoa. not going to fault Thank you there. Thank you, man. There you go. Hey, I'm a man who has a gold and platinum record for art design for uh, the Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. So, you know, okay, yeah, exactly. You at your own risk. <laughs> what album? I know people. Um, Agents of Fortune. You did the cover? They're all-time great albums, and I'm I'm doubly proud to say my... Late sister Helen uh, also received gold and platinum records on that for um, mm -hmm. writing several of the biggest hits on the record, although nothing came close to Donald Buck Dharma Roser's Don't Feel the, Fear the Reaper. Wait, but so you did the cover? No, no. I, I was involved in the art direction on the cover. Okay, okay, okay. I was, I was like, wow. And, <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> Columbia Records gave me uh, gold and platinum on that. Oh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. That's true. I uh, will send you a photo. I've got five of them on the wall right here. Hey, awesome. uh, uh, well, guys, we we're almost out of time, but I think we went over a we little sure bit. We are off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Peter, <laughs> real one. quick, uh, tell everybody yeah. about your conferences that you've got coming up, one of which is in Roswell. Yeah, um, <laughs> that will be the 
other conference. I think we have what three conferences going on uh, over those couple of days, guy. Um, three, two, anyway. Yeah, three. Um, I'll be over at the museum. I hope that um, we will get to see each other. I'm going to stick around for a couple extra days and hang with some friends. I hope you'll be able to stay an extra day or two as well. And that is what the. 30th through the 2nd, or what are the inclusive 29 and 30, yes. 29 and 30 of June, July 1 and 2, Thursday through Sunday. Yes. Um, I'll be arriving late on Wednesday, coming in directly from Athens, Greece, via Toronto. Wow. Okay. I will be be speaking um, at a scientific conference in Athens, uh, rooted in the work of Dr. Wilhelm Reich, on the weekend of um, June 17th and 18th. And for any of our European friends listening or anybody with some money to burn in this country, please consider joining us. This is going to be a very special conference. And you can see information on it posted on my Facebook page. And Guy, absolutely, Peter. Thank you. And and Guy, we understand that you've got something coming on, what we've heard about somewhere. A four-day conference, and I am honored that the, the sound technician for Bonnaroo there in Tennessee will be running sound at <laughs> this very same conference. Who's that guy? Uh, that, uh, so, some guy. No one, yeah, some uh, guy. He's, he's not very popular here tonight. No. no. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Rob and Adam, yeah, they're going to be on the ground. Adam Sane's going to be doing some sort of normal episodes and interviews. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, right. But... Peter, at the same time you're talking 10 a.m. at the UFO Museum, Richard yes, Dolan is speaking um, for the Roswell Daily Record Roswell Incident Conference that you mentioned, and Nick Redburn is speaking on his man-made view of the Roswell Incident. All of those are happening just on that one Sunday morning. You're right. There's three different conferences. Yeah, I'm giving another I'm, talk on the Saturday. Good, on the world, on advertising. Actually, had your uh, well on, on the impact of right uh, alien and UFO imagery in the world of advertising. You bet. Yep. Yeah, I've got it punched up. I'll link to it as well. I won't be attending because I'm running this other thing at the Rob. Sure. Oh, Hall. sure. No, but, I, I yeah. appreciate Rob, that. I might steal away for that Sunday ten o'clock. But there's Roswell I, UFO. If you can, it'd be great to see com. it for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you're hanging out for a couple extra days. One thing, yeah. Peter, with the history you've had here in Roswell, of knowing the ins and outs and the politics and the, yeah. the Hatfield and McCoy, the good, bad, and the ugly, it is all Holy moly. So, yeah. Don't oh, we know? That's history. That's history. That's it a whole other so story. so amazing. Yeah. It's amazingly yeah. peaceful this year. Believe it or not, I... I it's about time, and, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great <laughs> sign. You'll, you'll see Nick Redfern and myself at the breakfast at the UFO museum. We're working together. I go to the weekly meetings to promote their events as well as my own. Um, they are linking to my conference and to the Roswell daily record. It's all very peaceful. I think, I think the attitude of let's just put all the information out there, let people make up their own minds has finally prevailed here in Roswell. It's a, it's amazing. So, I mean, there's mm-hmm. many different views being presented, but nobody's hostile towards other people who have just you, the, your research or Richard Dolan's research, Tom Kerr, whoever, you know, I live here. I, you know, I, I wait, I'm a lowly waiter. I wait on Don Schmidt. He's a wonderful mm-hmm. guy. His research has led him one way. My research has led me another way. But the point yeah. is everybody in Roswell is being nice this year. 
loyalty to one another, and we're we're cross promoting and self promoting. That's great. And you're, that's the best. You, you'll you'll enjoy it. It'll be a really fresh breath of fresh air compared to what you've yeah. seen here in the past. <laughs> and Chris, that's wonderful. Chris, we really wish you could come join us. Yeah. But, uh, but tell yeah, it. It's, I can't. I just that's I work and my wife works, and I would yeah, love to get away. It's understandable. But, Pathetic excuse. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. But tell it people, is. tell That's people where they can, tell people where they can find you and get in touch with you. Uh, just Facebook. I don't have a website. I've like I've told you before, Adam. I I'm just a lonely researcher here in Michigan. I like doing my own thing. I, I like being beholden to only myself. And uh, it was just an honor to be on here with you, Guy, and you, Peter, who I have tremendous respect for. Thank you for allowing me to be on this panel. Thank you, everybody. I'm delighted, and I hope we get to do other shows together as well, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. I am face. I am. I'm Facebook friending you right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if that's okay, I'm, if you'll have me. That that sounds great. I'm at that embarrassing point where I have. A few people less than five thousand, which is the cutoff point. So I'm just starting to throw out people I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> if they have a problem, they can let me know, and I'll put them back on. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been great. Uh, stay on the line for us, and we're going to close this section out. And guys, we'll be back to briefly close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. <laughs> Okay, well, we had an outro recorded. I'm not quite certain what happened to it after so much time of time traveling and um, lots of stress at work. I guess that it got deleted. So it is what it is, folks. Um, real briefly, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, for our patrons, we actually put that up on for a little while for everybody to hear the eight people that we have as patrons. Uh, we put that up for them to hear for about uh, two weeks and now it's up on the main feed. Of course, without this wonderful outro that you're hearing now. Um, also with Patreon, uh, we are, will have a extra show about ended up being about an hour and 20 minutes uh, show with Walter Bosley, where we're going to talk about Hecate and some other weird stuff that he's been looking into. So please, um, if you're already a patron, you will get that show um, very, very soon, probably just as soon as I post this show. And uh, But if you want to become a patron, please visit our Patreon. Go, go to conspiranormal.patreon.com and, uh, you know, help us out if you want. We got a lot of cool extra stuff on there. Um so just a really brief show notes, guys. We will have Ginny Ashford coming back on. Uh, she's going to talk about her book, The Unseen Hand, about poltergeists. And also we will have an extra special 
surprise guest, a return guest coming on that we will have out. Uh, the Ginny Ashford show will actually be out probably the day before we actually go to Roswell. And yes, we will be out there. So please come to the, um, Roswell conference of the, um, challenges to the ET hypothesis. It's going to be great. We'd love to have you guys out there and come hang out with us. Um, Guy Malone, who you guys just heard on the show is the one setting that up. So please, you know, 70th anniversary, you, you got to come out. All right, guys. Well, that's pretty much it. And I felt that it would be appropriate to end this particular show with a pixie song called Motorway to Roswell. And hopefully we get out there and fare much better than the alien did. And guys, thank you so much for listening and we will be back. And I really don't feel like screaming it because it's a little weird with just myself here on Conspiranormal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 